The Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Poetry Manuscript. Um, it's just a working title, nothing said in concrete, but it's called The Cast and Crew. Not enough lifeboats for the cast and crew aboard our overloaded epic, sailing into our last red sunset. You might say, what a way to go. If you're in the good cabins, no worries. But if you're deck-bound poor, there's no next shore. Our vessel, Mother Earth, is overloaded sinking under the weight of overpopulation. The struggle to save our ship, not underrated. However, the cause demands an honest explanation. For all aboard Mother Earth, the whole cast and crew are hoping against bloody hope to sail through. Hello, Ken Smeaton, and welcome to 3CR Spoken Word. Oh, thank you, Peter. It's a pleasure to be here. And that poem, The Cast and Crew, it's, is it quite recent? Um, it's part of the uh, set that I'm putting together that's mostly character-driven. Um, and um, it's really just a metaphor for the modern world, everyone on Earth. We're either casting ourselves in our own movies or we're a crew that's helping support us make these movies. Um, I get the sense of everyone being in, on the same voyage together, so you're finding all the people equally as interesting in a way to write about. Um, definitely, we are all on the same voyage. Um, probably my main metaphor is water, um, the source of life. Um, almost all my poems refer in some way to that. Uh, my po- I like a poem to flow. Well, can you um, let some water flow through the microphones of okay, Studio well, 4 here at 3CR? This one's called The Drought Breaks. Thank you, Ken. Our skin brushes like the dry wind through the trees. Our lips parched and cracked as the riverbed. The silence between us brutal as the azure drought. We sleep the endless nights, lifeless as cow carcasses. The bones of our love bleached and on display. Somehow we survive, manually turning the windmill. Till the drunk sky returns passion to the world, and the roof drums, and my kisses rain on your vagina, and your eyes glisten as you wrap about my feeding root. And as the heart's drought breaks... We celebrate our survivors' love like swollen rivers and luscious paddocks. The rhythm of being able to sleep and the rhythm of not being able to sleep and, and lying together. Yeah. Sleep? So, yeah. Oh, you mentioned earlier in the poem about the situation of people being together, either, either sleeping or, or not being able to sleep. And, and both yeah. of those states of being have their own rhythm and poetic, you know. Um, yeah. Another one in that sense uh, it's called the flood could i follow with that certainly it'd be okay. great ken smeaton on spoken word the flood the flood is full on 
when, in the telling of how it is, your eyes well, deluge pushing on the sod walls of your heart. A wash in a recovering loved one's grief and sorrow, where you're almost drowning in the backwash. The storm is past, is it not? When will the dirty, smelly waters recede? The clean-up has to wait, as you have to wait. A dam held in by frail eyelids, only by avoiding recollection of the long, long rain. One hopes to get by until the sun dries the rooms of your heart soaked and heavy. Pumps at full pressure, working non-stop, but one mention of how wet it is and you gasp for air. A welling cracks the tunnels of your throat, and you turn away to compose, learning in already sodden hearts a flood will recede, but slowly you must try to understand how to stay afloat until that sunny day soon your feet once again touch solid ground. Again about people and... And a line there, a dam filled with heavy eyelids, like people in large numbers. You're using the um, people metaphorically, like in quite right. Um, yeah. People's professions or their way of life can be a really terrific metaphor for mm. any number of things. It's like um, it's like the flow in a poem, and every style of poetry. If the good examples of whatever school of poetry is, they have flow, they have rhythm. And, you know, you wonder um, um, how, does it, how does the poem flow, you know, what makes it flow? Um, 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 and where is it flowing to, you know? And so the whole should take the reader along with it. And I think that's the beauty when you know you've got a finished poem. Mm. Oh, it's, you know, it's just a, a you know, a, a whoop for joy, really. It's terrific. I'm just thinking also of that, I guess, other side of things when the writer builds a bit of a dam and, and the poem doesn't flow or they can't find their way to go. Maybe it's because the, the writer's not thinking about, as you said, where it's flowing from, where it, what direction it has and where it's you know flowing to. Well, it wouldn't be so specific. Um, one must make many, many, many attempts to get the poem right and... You might go for 20 pages of scribbles and attempts to get it right and discard it in the end. Mm -hmm. The point is to know when you to discard, when you know you're never going to get it right. Some you just can't because you think maybe one day. And so there's always poems in the notebook that you um, think you might go back to but probably just end up as scribbles erratum, you know. Mm -hmm. Right through to the other stage of things where you feel and sense the ending coming and a perfection and a completion in the ending itself. So you get that yes, st oh, stopping and ceasing. For well, moment. when you get the ending in a poem, you know it generally. It just makes sense. It wraps mm. the thing up. Mm. Um, Would you like to read us some more poems? Well, yeah. Um, I'm interested in um, another thing too. Um, uh a lot of people, you might say, uh, just grow up on the outside, outside. The echoes of their unhappy, sorry, distressed childhood stay with them forever. Mm. And that's one of my, a topic I'm interested in exploring. This is called, I'll just have a sip of water. 
The bruised gene. Is there a way to understand the bruising journey across time and ocean to mutate in the fresh air? Where is blame to be sheeted home when generations unfold in the pages of our hidden genetic history? Did the stories of antiquated male theology, giving six of the best on bare buttocks, frantic electric punches blackening mind's eye create this unrelenting recollection of fear? You suspect it was already there, waiting, needing only pain to set it off on its wobbly track, either into the too bright sun or downhill into failure's cold stations. The wrong condition's just right for a bruised gene. It's a lottery, as the best science will sadly confirm. Theologians pray you grin and bear it. You wish you could, but you know it has set. How many progeny does it take to heal a bruise reapplied each new branching? Even when the fragile vessels are corked, the book that is our face tells the tale. A psychological piece in the way that goes deep into the the human mind, like it's a, it's very yeah. It's because not... yes, we carry so much of our ancestral history mm. in our DNA yeah. that um, you know there's a little bit of the, the Neanderthal left in all of us, the, probably. The, the, <laughs> the DNA tone is always there. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to read another piece? Um, I've got a very new piece that I'm really happy with. Um, it's a local uh, businessman in my area. It's called Jani. Okay, Jani. Jani tells me the wind in Albania is so sharp, its gusts could cut your bare skin like glass. Jani said it is so cold in Albania, no snow, no cloud, just clear skies the colour of ice and the few good roads slippery as banana skin. He travelled from the hottest Aussie summer to the coldest Albanian winter to care for and see after the welfare of his old mother and father. Thinking he'd be gone a week, it became three. He's happy to be home in Windsor, but his loved old parents are suffering in Albania's deep freezer. Johnny can't afford to let his grief win. He has a business to run. He eats one meal a day, sleeps when he can. He's Albanian. He knows it's sink or swim. Aussies can earn $10 an hour easy. Albanians work hard all day or longer for ten dollars. Johnny's left hand has a thumb and little finger. He said, it hurt, but quick, in a mincer. Johnny knows all about pain and beauty. After all, he is a florist who wished to be a dentist. Johnny works seven days a week as a form of resistance. He says, to stay in front, you have to work the system. Johnny is up at 2.30am, three early days of every week, to drive 50 minutes on the empty freeways to the wholesale fruit and vegetable market at Epping to buy his cut flowers. 
expert at cramming his small VW van to the roof, exotic blooms to restock his shop, exactly what his customers want, day in, day out. That's the challenge, and that's his knack. Johnny reckons, if you can survive Albania, you've got what it takes to give hard work a good crack. You've got the challenge of a florist down pat there, like the, the ability to, to read. We, we think and talk about all these famous fashion designers and things like that, being able to predict the, where the fashion's going, but the florist's ability to predict which um, colour the hunger of the, the customer is going towards, I guess, and bringing out the right flowers in time to match. And It's a, it's a great piece because you portray... Um, I guess like a, you know, a visual artist painting a picture would be looking at the curl of the hair or an, an accent in the look in the eyes and, and all these things in particular and the surface of the body. But you've got this great portrait which is quite long and rounded in many sides of that person's life and all these details you get a sense as, as a listener have come out of conversation. You and Johnny, like the sort of things that you get to know when you really get talking with a person and... And he's a. You were mentioning before we recorded the piece. He's a businessman in your local area, and he is. He's got a, a, a florist shop. And you got to know him at the shop. Oh no! Well, I've lived in that area for a long time, and yeah, his shop's just at the end of my street, yeah. in Chapel Street there, and um, um, I know lots of the business yeah. people there. I've worked for them over the years for different things as a driver, or you know in the shops for them, you know. Um, mm. uh, yeah, Wins is a very uh, popular area these days, but it has a very strong local community. Mm. Um, and I've been there 26 years now, so... Yeah. A lot of people who could stay there, stayed there, you know. Like the, the I can stay yeah. there because yeah. my house is reasonably old and it's probably one of the oh. cheapest rents in that Wonderful. part of town. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've I've lived there in the past too. It's a, it's a great, it's an exciting area because it's on the border of, of different areas that are also exciting. And I like it because it's close to the city, basically, and close to you know uh, St Kilda or the Bay. Yeah. Um, I like being close to the city when I'm in the city. Mm. Do you have a poem about a, another person in the city, perhaps? To oh, to link. Um, point. Yeah. Um, this poem, our conscience. It's also on the. Um, psychological um, uh, discussion, you might say. Our conscience is our private court wherein we weigh and judge our worth against all the good and bad on earth to light and point our path. Conscience walks the line between yes and no, divines the crack between right and wrong. We are inspired to defend the human heart when conscience beats the pulse of a broken right. A troubled conscience wakes to storm, thundering on the country of your mind. A clear conscience dawns each day, bright as the yellow summer sun, crafting in our every word the power, the choice to be, for good or evil, a sower. Clever conscience guides our step, vets our talk, instructs us in the very way to walk. How well we tend our conscience depends, if we want one at all. The court of a life can be locked away, no bother to heart or mind or will. For alone in the dock, 
of our private mind, with a clear conscience and a clean name, one among all the good and bad on earth, conscience weighs and judges our worth. And it's a weighing and a judging that must occur inside ourselves, isn't it? Because mm. it's our conscience, yeah. Oh, yes. We live most of our life in our minds. Mm. Um, oh, well, we did until modern communication devices. Well, that piece seems to indicate a very steady rhythm to the way we live with our conscience in our lives. It has that presiding, and almost metrical I tried to make rhythm. it like a court, yeah. a yeah. courthouse, a courtroom, yeah. um, because that's what it is. It's Interesting. Really, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, look, um, one, I did bring one along, Peter, that, yeah. um, simply because it ties in with two ways. This poem was actually written, it's a very old one, it was written in 1980, and that's about the time I was on 3CR. But it was also the time that uh, a poet, Peter Tiernan, um, was working at a place called Kapu Press, and he, they were getting some new equipment, and they were looking to get rid of their tabletop offset printing machine. Well... I jumped on that and for about five years in Brunswick Street Fitzroy at the Poetry Lab, I printed the street poems on that. Of, and of many different people? Everyone. We were kind S- of Some like, of the names uh, of people? And- oh, well, everyone. Shelton Lee, Eric Beach, Judith Rodriguez, Barbara, uh, Giles, um, all the hot poets around at that time, the young poets. and Getting their poets out to people, um, well, selling them in the venues. Not like really, street and... poetry was just an access movement, a promotion movement for poets and poetry to... I guess that's what I mean, like sharing them around in the venues and giving each other a chance to read out each other at home and not just on stage. And There yeah. were various, some yeah. venues, there weren't so many yeah. then, um, but uh, there was much more... Uh, 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 it was much more um, elitist, if you like, the poetry scene in those days. So um, what, what years were you talking about? Oh, I'm talking you... about, say, 77 to about... Ni- oh, 75 to about 1980. And that's uh, when you are also producing radio at 3CR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, actually, that went on to about the printing and the, the radio till about 83 or 84, yeah. We're listening to Ken Smeaton, past producer here at 3CR Community Radio, past producer of poetry chapbooks out into the streets and and, and many other things. Well, no, um, they weren't chapbooks. Sorry? It was the yeah. street poet. They street were poet. sheets. Sheets, And yeah. we would go into the city and hand them out. Mm. And all different companies would give us bales and pallets of paper and ink. Um, there was a very famous fellow now in the United States, Tom the Street Poet. Mm. Um, he started this movement that I thought was terrific because I always like accessibility uh, for everybody. Um, the tabletop offset machine was a way to do serious printing um, of a certain quality, but not mm. book quality. And A4, and you can read yeah. the words clearly on a big page. And, and people would come to my... Um, uh, poetry lab, my flat in Brunswick Street there, they'd enter from the back lane, but I'll read this one, and this is from 1980 
It's called Rebecca is Five, and it's got a intro. The following poem was written at the Poetry Lab, 365 Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. Enter from the cobbled laneway off Rose Street. Please pay a silver coin to Michael Burns as you pass his rag bed in the recessed car bay by the lane. Rebecca is five. Rebecca visiting the Poetry Lab with a mum Bernadette, Melbourne, 1980. Rebecca is five, she is smart and speaks well, a baby doll, a lovely child, polite and keen to show she is a good girl. Yesterday, she cried when she had to go. Mummy is trapped by awful daddy. Mummy is 21, living on dreams. Mummy's name is Bernadette. Bernadette has been writing poems since she was 16. Her tattoo, from juvenile girls' prison when Leighton, J-O-H-N fades from the back of her fingers. John faded from her life when he made her pregnant. Rebecca has a brother Joshua, seven months. He doesn't want to go off the breast. He plays up, cries and is sick a lot, heroin in the milk, because mummy uses street smack and chain smokes. On the way here today they fell off the bike. Mummy crashed onto the hard street, Becky's not hurt. Bernadette's left leg is bruised and lacerated. I bandage the limb and wash her feet. Help Bernadette type up a letter to the dance school begging enrolment. She dreams of learning drama to express herself. She wants to write her life story, short as is, short as it is, to ask why. She finds it impossible to go straight because her current man is using all the time, because. Bernadette vomits every ten minutes through the afternoon. First she said it was sprayed dope, but admitted it was smack cut with shit. Herself the daughter of an addict, disabled, and here another innocent babyhood damaged, a child who only wants to please, denied, five-year-old Rebecca wonders why. I want to help this brilliant child. Together we prepare a tray of tea and biscuits. We sit and talk, hearing her mummy being sick. Rebecca tells me baby Joshua has been with Grandma all week. Rebecca, busy with cartoons and crayons, I speak softly on the phone to a social worker, Elizabeth. She knows the case and fills in the details. The kids are being rescued for their health and safety. Tell clever Rebecca her mummy needs help. She wants you and little Joshua to grow up happy. All will be better soon. You will live in a new home, in a wonderful house of children and learning and love. I assure her it will only be while mummy gets better. And serious five-year-old Rebecca says, Mummy's never going to get better. As we get very close to people, we share their pain as well as their joys and I've been in that position um, I can at least think of one time clearly um, in, in my life where I sort of well, I got to know a young child in, in damaged circumstances which I'm um, not at that point but she'd experienced a lot in the past and having that friendship with that child um, felt like uh, it was an, an honour I think of, of a way of being in that position to be able to 
help things to be fun and stable and you know peaceful for a while and that friendship we can give to not only children but anybody in difficult circumstances it's one of the most um interesting and also attractive and heart-rending topics is the suffering child mm. um and you know it's looking out and reaching out for a friend and you know, well you know yeah. we all can relate Mm. Most people have a story of their childhood that rankles. Yeah. But to have a whole childhood that rankles, mm. it's so hard to grow up happy. Yeah. And the strong ones through thick or thin can. They've got that graceful, joyous energy to want to live that every child has, you know, always looking for ways to, 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 to make right. the most of life. It's, it's a bit like a... A sparrow flying through a small building, isn't it? In a way, like there's a lot like of like the sparrows in Hungry Jacks or McDonald's, yes, yeah, yeah. in the city, they fly right into those outlets. Yeah. Um, most children don't survive these things. Children, um, it strikes me that uh, they grow into adults, but they've only, like I said, grown up on the outside. Mm. The child is forever there, ringing echoing the story in the your, the person's ears. Um, it can make you stronger or it can break you. Mm. And I think those that it makes stronger, the child had that in them. But mm. if the child hasn't got those natural resources, that's, they suffer. Yeah. Unless intervening help comes in in time, but often it cannot be in time. We need to look out for the children as much as we can. And could you please read us an, another poem on, on 3CR Spoken Word, Ken Smeaton? Oh, well, um, mining history. Ballarat, yeah. The map. It's in four parts. The map, the mine, the suffering and the gold. The map. You don't know what's down there until you dig. The best science can read what lies beneath. A psychiatrist can lead you to the opening. You might stumble upon a hidden load. You could find you are born to scratch. Whatever road you come to mine, language is the tool to extract gold. The mine. Ah, the dream to be rich in every respect drives you deeper through hell to treasure drives you on to the bells of truth, to the awesome fact of your own bedrock. Dug with pick words, your own walls to breach, you frustrate in shifting sand, loose shale, poison air, collapsing tunnels, rising water, foul mud, hands of clay, claws of blood. The Suffering all this suffering you turn against itself to chalk and hold the roof up. You make a straight shaft with the words of yesterday's forest for tomorrow's gold. You become granite. Your strength is tested, crash through into caves dank and eons dark. Light drains from your mind. The ghosts echo and you could just sink to your knees. The gold. Depleted, but refusing defeat, a desperate spark, no sure strength, a fool's courage, all that's left 
fires up your miner's lamp and lights upon the gleam you seek. Gold, gold, mother love, gold. Now all the fear, the pain, the blood, worth the work, your life and times, and you cry and you laugh at the beauty you mind from the veins of your heart. Gold! Gold, gold, <laughs> the best things in life are dirty, filthy, dirty lumps of gold, gold, gold. <laughs> gold built this country. Yeah. The early migrants from Europe and China, great people, great people who had great dreams of freedom and emancipation in a new country. Fair, I find it Intensely exciting. The glitter uh, of the earth driving the minds of the people in there. Well, yeah. being human beings, we do rush ahead into places we sometimes shouldn't go, but it we do anyway, and we make as many dreadful mistakes as we make great moments and great achievements. On that note, Ken, it's been a pleasure to have you on, on 3CR Spoken Word. Thank you for coming in today. My pleasure entirely, Peter. Thank you very much. Thank you.